Chapter sixty five of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman, a strange tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter sixty five. Still another interlude. For a third time is the tableau reconstructed, spectators and actors in the dread drama taking their places as before. The lazo is once more passed over the limb, the same two scoundrels taking hold of its loose end, this time drawing it towards them till it becomes taut. For the third time arises the reflection. Soon must the soul of Maurice Gerald go back to its god. No nearer than ever does the unfortunate man seem to its end. Even love has proved powerless to save him. What power on earth can be appealed to after this? None likely to avail. But there appears no chance of succor, no time for it. There is no mercy in the stern looks of the regulators, only impatience. The hangmen, too, appear in a hurry, as if they were in dread of another interruption. They manipulate the rope with the ability of experienced executioners. The physiognomy of either would give color to the assumption that they had been accustomed to the calling. In less than sixty seconds they shall have finished the job. Now then, Bill, are you ready? Shouts one to the other, by the question proclaiming that they no longer intend to wait for the word. All right, responds Bill. Up with the son of a skunk, up with him. There is a pull upon the rope, but not sufficient to raise the body into an erect position. It tightens around the neck, lifts the head. A little from the ground, but nothing more. Only one of the hangmen has given his strength to the pole. Hall, damn you, cries Bill, astonished at the inaction of his assistant. Why the hell don't you haul? Bill's back is turned towards an intruder, that, seen by the other, has hindered him from lending a hand. He stands as if suddenly transformed into stone. Come, continues the chief executioner, let's go at it again, both together. Yup, yeah, up, up with him. No, you don't calls out a voice in the tones of a stentor while a man of colossal frame carrying a six-foot rifle is seen rushing out from among the trees in strides that bring him almost instantly into the thick of the crowd no you don't he repeats stopping over the prostrate body and bringing his long rifle to bear upon the ruffians of the rope not yet a bit as this coon calculates you bill griffin pull that piece of pleated hosshair but the eighth of an inch tighter and ye get a blue pill in your stomach as won't agree wi ye drop the rope durn ye drop it the screaming of zeb stump's mare scarce created a more sudden diversion than the appearance of zeb himself for it was he who had hurried upon the ground he was known to nearly all present respected by most and feared by many among the last were bill griffin and his fellow rope-holder, no longer holding it, for at the command to drop it, yielding to a quick perception of danger, both had let go, and the lazo lay loose along the sward. What dern tomfooleries this, boys, continues the colossus, addressing himself to the crowd, still speechless from surprise. You don't mean hanging, do you? We do, answers a stern voice. And why not? asks another. Why not? Ye hang a feller citizen without trial, would ye? Not much of a fellow citizen, so far as it goes. 
besides he's had a trial a fair trial indeed a human critter to be condemned with his brain in a state of delirium sent out of the world without knowing that he's in it you call that a fair trial do ye what matters it if we know he's guilty we're all satisfied about that the hell ye are wah i ain't going to waste words with such as you jim stodders but for you sam manley and yourself mr poindexter surely ye ain't agreed to this here proceeding which in my opinion it be neither more or less than murder you haven't heard all zeb stump interposes the regulator chief with the design to justify his acquiescence in the act these are facts facts be durned and fancies too i don't want to hear em it'll be the time enough for that when the king come to a regular trial the witch surely nobody here object to seein as there ain't the ghost o a chance for him to get off who air the individual that objects you take too much upon you zeb stump what is it your business we'd like to know the man that's been murdered wasn't your son nor your brother nor your cousin neither if he had been you'd be of a different way of thinking i take it it is calhoun who has made this interpolation spoken before with so much success to his scheme i don't see that it concerns you he continues what course we take in this matter but i do it concerns me fust because this young feller's a friend of mine though the air irish and a stranger a secondly because zeb stump ain't goin to stand by and see foul play even though it be on the prairies of texas foul play be damned there's nothing of the sort and as for standing by we'll see about that boys you're not going to be scared from your duty by such swagger as this let's make a finish of what we begun the blood of a murdered man cries out to us lay hold of the rope do and by the eternal the fuss that duel drop it a little quicker than he grups it lay a claw on it one o ye if ye dare ye may hang this poor critter as high as ye like but not till ye've laid zeblin stump stretched dead upon the grass with some o ye alongside o him now then let me see the skunk that's goin to teak that rope zeb's speech is followed by a profound silence the people keep their places partly from the danger of accepting his challenge and partly from the respect too to his courage and generosity also because there is still some doubt in the minds of the regulators both as to the expediency and fairness of the course which calhoun is inciting them to take with a quick instinct the old hunter perceives the advantage he has gained and presses it give the young fellow a fair trial urges he let's take him to the settlement and have him tried there you've got no clear proof that he's had any hand in the black business and dern ye if i believe it unless i seen it with my own eyes i know how he'd feel torst young poindexter instead of being his enemy there ain't a man on this ground had more o a likin for him though he did have a bit o shindy wit his precious cousin there you are perhaps not aware mr stump rejoins the regulator chief in a calm voice of what we've just been hearing what have you been hearing evidence to the contrary of what you assert we have proof not only that there was bad blood between gerald and young poindexter but that a quarrel took place on the very night 
"'Who says that, Sam Manley?' "'I say it,' answers Calhoun, stepping a little forward, so as to be seen by Stump. "'Oh, you it air, Mr. Cash Calhoun. You know there war bad blood atween them. "'You see the quarrel, ye speak o'?' "'I haven't said that I saw it, Zeb Stump. "'And what's more, I'm not going to stand any cross-questioning by you. "'I've given my evidence to those who have the right to hear it, "'and that's enough. "'I think, gentlemen, you're satisfied as to the verdict. "'I don't see why this old fool should interrupt.' "'Old fool!' echoes the hunter with a screech. "'Old fool! Hell is hurricanes! "'You call me an old fool? "'By the eternal God!' You'll live to take back that speech, or my name ain't Zeblin Stump. Oh, Kentucky, ne'er a mind now. There's a time for everything, and your time may come, Mr. Cash Calhoun, sooner than ye suspects it. As for a quarrel atween Henry Pointdexter and the young fellow here, continues Zeb, addressing himself to the regulator chief, I don't believe a word on it, nor won't, so long there's no better proof than his palaverin' from good way towards explication of this mysterious business twisted up as a air what facts demands the regulator chief let's hear them stump there's more than one first place what you do to make o the young fellow being wounded himself i don't talk of them scratches you see i believe them's done by coyotes that attacked him after they seen he war wounded but look at his knee something else than coyotes did that what do you make o' it, Sam Manley? Well, that. Some of the boys here think there's been a struggle between him and— Between him and who? Sharply interrogates Zeb. Why, the man that's missin'. Yes, that's he who we mean, speaks one of the boys referred to. We all know that Harry Poindexter wouldn't a stood to be shot down like a calf. They've had a tussle and a fall among the rocks. That's— what's given him the swellin' in the knee. Besides, there's the mark of a blow upon his head. Looks like it had been the butt of a pistol. As for the scratches, we can't tell what's made them. Thorns, maybe, or wolves, if you like. That foolish fellow of his has a story about a tiger, but it won't do for us. What feller air you talkin' to? You mean Irish Phelim? Where are he? stole away to save his carcass we'll find him as soon as we've settled this business and i guess a little hanging will draw the truth out of him if you mean about the tiger you'll draw no other truth out of him that hat you've got already i see that varmint myself and war just in time to save the young feller from his claws but that ain't the point you've had a holt in the irish i suppose did he tell you nothing else he'd seed here he had a yarn about indians who believes it? Wall, he told me the same story, and that looks like some truth in it. Besides, he declares they were playing cards, and here's the things themselves. I found em lying scattered about the floor of the shanty. Spanish curds they air. Zeb draws back the pack out of his pocket, and hands it over to the regulator chief. The cards, on examination, prove to be of Mexican manufacture such as are used in the universal game of monte the queen upon horseback cavallo the spade represented by a sword espada and the club baston symbolized by the huge pavure-like implement seen in picture books in the grasp of harry orison who ever heard of comanches playing cards demands he who has scouted the evidence about the indians damned ridiculous 
Ridiculous, you say, interposes an old trapper, who had been twelve months a prisoner among the Comanches. Ridiculous it may be, but it's true for all that. Many is the game this coon seed them play, on a dress burner hide for their table, that same Mexican monte too. I reckon they've learned it from their Mexican captives, of the which they've got as good as three thousand in their different tribes. Yes, siri, concludes the trapper. The Comanches do play cards, sure as shootin'. Zeb Stump is rejoiced at this bit of evidence, which is more than he could have given himself. It strengthens the case for the accused. The fact of there having been Indians in the neighborhood tends to alter the aspect of the affair in his minds of the regulators, hitherto under the belief that the Comanches were marauding only on the other side of the settlement. Sartin, sure, continues Zeb, pressing the point in favor of the adjournment of the trial. There's been Injuns here, or something derned like. Jesus, just so fat. Where is she coming from? The clattering of hooves, borne down from the bluff, salutes the air of everybody at the same instant of time. No one needs to inquire what has caused Stump to give utterance to that abrupt interrogatory. Along the top of the cliff, and close to its edge, a horse is seen going at a gallop. There is a woman, a lady, upon his back, with hat and hair streaming loosely behind her, the string hindering the hat from being carried altogether away. So wild is the gallop, so perilous from its proximity to the precipice. You might suppose the horse to have run away with his rider. But no, you may tell that he has not, by the actions of the equestrian herself. She seems not satisfied with the pace but with whip, spur, and voice keeps urging him to increase it. This is plain to the spectators below, though they are puzzled and confused by her riding so close to the cliff. They stand in silent astonishment, not that they are ignorant of who it is. It would be strange if they were, that woman equestrian, man, seated in the saddle, once seen was never more to be forgotten. She is recognized at the first glance. One and all know the reckless galloper, to be the guide from whom scarce half an hour ago they had parted upon the prairie end of chapter sixty five